Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. If you notice my message today, it was a different bulletin cover today, right? My message today is go means go, go means go, but I printed it on a separate bulletin. And the reason is, is because this is the Lord's Day. This is the Lord's Day. And I think many of us don't understand the significance of that, but the day that Christ rose from the dead became the Lord's Day became the Lord's Day. And that's why we have flowers. We have flowers of new life. So on the bulletin, you've got rhododendrons and azaleas on there. Uh, we have Easter lilies at our churches. I mean, it's about new life. And it's all because of that Jesus rose on the, on the Lord's Day. It goes all the way back to the early church. In the... Um, in the um, uh, in Psalm 118.24, our regular bulletins that we have on basically 40 to 45 weeks out of the year, says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Remember that? And the day that the Lord has made is this is the day, the Lord's day. In, um, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, John is catapulted into heaven. And basically he says this. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And then it goes into this wonderful prophecy, which is in the book of Revelation. Now, John didn't have to explain it because scholars believe that by the time John was writing this, which is around 80 to 85 AD, somewhere around that area, the church had established the first day of the week as the Lord's Day because that was the day that the Lord rose from the dead. And now there's nothing wrong with our regular days of the week, the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or if you're a Godfather fan, fan, it's like Sunday, Monday, Thursday, right? I mean, you forgot the Wednesday in there. But, but there's nothing wrong with the days of the week. But, but we have to understand that, that the Christians, the early Christians, established the first day of the week as the day that they would gather. It's not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. The Jewish, would, the Jewish faithful would meet on the Sabbath, and the Sunday would be the, the Lord's Day. Um, but the first day of the week, the tomb was empty. And because of that, it became the day of the Lord. That was the, the Lord's day. Now, again, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we don't have time to give you a, 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 a teaching on those days of the week. Um, but think of this as kind of like cliff notes. Did you use Cliff Notes when you were a kid? Cliff Notes got me through college. It, it really did. You know, you could read all of Shakespeare in like seven minutes. You know, you get at all the characters and things like that. So a Cliff Notes version, the name Sunday literally is Anglo-Saxon coming from the German meaning the sun's day, S-U-N. It was to celebrate the greater God, which was the sun. So it was Sunday. Now, the lesser God was the moon. And the moon had its own day as well. That was moon day or Monday. And all the days of the week, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday was for Thor. I kind of like Thor. That was, that was Thursday. Uh, Friday. Uh, Saturday was for Saturn. Okay. So each of the day of the week was for a pagan god. And that's okay. I mean, we don't understand. I mean, we are, we, as believers, we've forgotten about those types of things. Unless somebody knows a little bit about history and tells you where it comes from, it doesn't make any difference. A lot of our holidays, a lot of our, a lot of our culture comes from a pagan culture, but, but it's been replaced because we have the Lord. 
And the greatest day that we have is the Lord's Day. And because, it's because of the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And because he rose on the first day of the week, we have the Lord's Day. So today we're going to do our, our, our we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Last week we were in chapter 6. So we've jumped way forward because I want to talk about what's called the Great Commission. It's at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has risen from the dead and he's going to talk with his apostles. And I use this scripture today because it's, you'll, you'll see it's very significant. Again, my title and message is Go Means Go. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. You know, last week, um, my title of my message was Do Not Worry. Now, based on what we just read, I could name our title today, uh, Do Not Doubt. Because remember, there were 11 that came to Jesus and appeared to them, and it says some doubt. It says, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, here's the thing about doubt. Some people doubt, even these apostles doubted, even though they saw the risen Christ. They doubted, but doubt doesn't disqualify you. I want you to understand that because all of us doubt from time to time. It's, it's common, even among Christians that have been Christians for a long time. There's, there's things sometimes that we doubt. Sometimes your pastor will be giving you a message and he'll try to be giving you some, some hope, some comfort. And there's a little bit of doubt. And that's okay. Doubt doesn't disqualify us. What's interesting on this is that this is very similar to the story in John, the Gospel of John. John talks about uh, the Apostle Thomas. Remember? We call him the doubter because Jesus came walking through the walls. Isn't that amazing? He comes walking through the walls and he appears to the 11 apostles and he says, peace be with you, right? And they see Jesus. So then Thomas is not with him. So Thomas is there later, and Thomas comes in, and they said, we saw the risen Christ. We saw the Lord. And he says, I won't believe it. He says, unless I can put my hand into his side and put my fingers into the nail prints in his palms of my hand, I, I will not believe. Now, fortunately for Thomas, or unfortunately, either way, Jesus then appears again, right? And he goes right over to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, take your hand and put it into my side. Take your fingers and put them into my palm. And Thomas falls on his face and he says, My Lord and my God. And Jesus says something very interesting. He said, Blessed are those that believe and do not see. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. And do you know who those are? Those are you and me. <laughs> That's us. Because we have not seen the risen Christ, but yet we, we believe. We believe. Even though back then some doubted, we, we try to believe. Now the question is, why do they doubt? Well, well sometimes, sometimes I think that maybe they just think this was too good to be true. You ever have that? I mean, sometimes things are going so well for you, they, you can say, I, I, somebody pinched me. Somebody pinched me because I must be sleeping. I must be dreaming because it's almost too good to be true. And in the Gospel of Mark, 
uh, chapter 9, a man seeking healing for his son says to Jesus, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Another scripture I really enjoy because even though he believed, Jesus said he would heal his son. And Jesus says, do you believe this? And he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And it's a great lesson for us that even in our belief, we can still ask the Lord to, to strengthen our resolve. Some scholars think that the apostles still doubted because they doubted the plan. Not the risen Christ, but the plan. You see, the Jews had believed that the Messiah would come, that he would vanquish the Romans, that he would set things straight, that he would end up assuming the throne of David in Jerusalem, and that he would reign as king of kings, and that he would always be with them. This was the role of the Messiah, and it is the role of the Messiah, but it was a mystery because Jesus was first going to die on the cross, rise from the dead, establish what we know as this church age, this Gentile age, and come back again. And they, they doubted sometimes maybe that plan that was so new to them. But it's, but it's great. This, this, this doubt highlights the struggles of our faith. You know, all of us have, have struggles. We, we, we're trying to come to terms with the miracles, the grace of God, the understanding favor of God, despite our sin. I mean, that's the struggle I have. Despite my sin, God loves me anyway. It's not because of what I've done, it's because of what Christ has done. Now, here's the thing, is that to be a believer takes grace-enabled faith. I'll repeat that. It takes grace-enabled faith. Faith. The grace is coming from God. So if you doubt, God is the one that can give you the grace to overcome that, that doubt. Now, let's go on. We'll see that Jesus doesn't address their doubt. He, he doesn't give them another parable. He doesn't talk about doubt and how to overcome doubt. He just goes right on to what we know as the Great Commission. And it starts, first of all, by Jesus saying that he has the authority. In verse 18, Jesus says, he says, he came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Uh, Jesus says, all authority. You know, from Genesis to Revelations, the, spoke, the prophet spoke of God's plan to ultimately gather a people together. Uh, Abraham was supposed to be a blessing to the Gentile as well as to the Jews. Uh, the Son of Man was going to come. This was the name of the Messiah. Daniel called him the Son of Man. And he was to basically reign and, and to rule. He was the one that was to have the authority. Well, Jesus has the authority now because of his resurrection. Because he rose from the dead, Jesus calls himself the first fruit of many brethren, the firstborn from the, from the dead. And he has dominion. And this is the, exactly what the apostles, what the prophets had all prophesied. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And he means all. All authority. You know, I, I, again, I could change the title of my message that all means all. Just means go means go. Do not doubt. This means all. When Jesus says he has all authority, he says both in heaven as well as on earth. You know, in our culture today, most people truly don't understand authority. And it's because of our culture. You know, the time that Jesus walked the earth, they understood authority because they had kings. They had kings like, like Herod. They had rulers like Pontius Pilate that had ultimate authority. They could decide they don't like the way you walk, and next thing you know, it would be off with your head. 
You know, today uh, we are, we're stubborn, we're a little willful, we're, we're too self-centered sometimes to submit. We know that even people that have authority over us, there's still limits to that authority. But Jesus is saying all authority has been granted to him. And he, he's talking about all authority because in the next verse, he's going to be giving, of that, because of that authority, he's going to be directing the rest of us. He's going to give us a commission, a direction. And he's also going to give us authority. Verse 19 says, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus has the authority. He gives this command, go. Now that Hebrew, that Greek word go means to depart, to, to travel, to take a walk. Go, get out of your seat and go. And that's why I'm saying go means go. Uh, and go, Jesus says, go therefore. What was it therefore? Because of the authority that Jesus was given because of the resurrection from the, from the dead. Now, Jesus doesn't just send us. It isn't like going on a trip. He's giving us a, a commission. The verse says that, that uh, this verse is often called the Great Commission. And we understand commission. Soldiers, those of you that were soldiers, served in the military, in some branch of the military, understand what a commissioned officer is. We commission ships, yachts. We commission the great battleships that the Navy uses, the aircraft carriers. They're all, they're all commissioned. These are the great warships. Um, it's the authority that commissions the ships. And Jesus has the authority to commission us as well. Officers that are commissioned understand that they have responsibility as well as authority. And I want you to understand that when God commissions us through Jesus to go, he gives us authority and responsibility. Now, these verses that we're reading are in the end of the gospel. The end of the Gospel of Matthew. We can also read them in the end of the Gospel of Luke or the end of the Gospel of John. This is the end of the Gospel, but this is it. The commission is the beginning of the church. It's the very beginning of the church. You see, I, I want to go back to this mention of my title, this, this go means go. Uh, now, one of the things that's interesting or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, as you know, there's translations coming out of the Bible all the time. I mean, literally, my, my little... My little uh, um, my little phone has something like 187 translations of the Bible on it. And I, that's just a few. I mean, there's hundreds of translations. There's a couple of translations that they intentionally translated this verse. Instead of saying go, they translated it as you go. As you go. And the idea was this, is that, that they know that many people don't feel like they're called to go to Africa. They're not called like Gary and other friends of mine to go into the prisons or go to the streets and, and witness and to proselytize and, and to be able to share the gospel. So they translated it as you go, meaning that all of us have the opportunity in our everyday walkabout life to be able to talk to people about Jesus Christ. And I love the sentiment. I love that sentiment that all of us have the opportunity to, to share Jesus. But that's actually not what the Bible says. This, this go means go. He means to get up and go out there and change the world. To make disciples and teach them and to baptize them. And this is the call to all of us. It's called the Great Commission. There's a, there's a saying that kind of goes along with this. It, the saying is this. It says that many are reluctant to embrace the call. You feel that way? Many are reluctant to embrace the call because they don't feel they are prepared. 
But God doesn't call the prepared. He prepares the called. So if God puts something on your heart, whether it's to, to bring a meal to somebody in Jesus' name, to give a cup of cold water and stuff to somebody because Jesus calls you to do that, to share the gospel with somebody, to sit and talk with your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren about Jesus and the love of God and what this day truly means, remember that God prepares you. God will prepare you and God will give you the words that you need to speak. You don't need to be afraid. Let's continue. Jesus says, go, he says, go baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I, I love this. This is, a, this is an indication that this discipleship process, excuse me just for a second. This discipleship process is a true process. It includes teaching, going, and baptizing. There's a process that, that follows. The instructions Jesus is, is giving us is to go. And in a minute, we'll, we'll talk about this word teach as well. All three of these, go, baptize, and teach, are what's called indirect commands. The, the direct command is make disciples. That's the idea. Jesus says, go and make disciples. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to go, and you're going to teach, and you're going to baptize. But it's all part of the, the process. It gives us a little insight, and I like this, that disciples are, are not created. They're made. And they're made through a process. Don't feel that because you've made Jesus the Lord of your life that somehow you can memorize all 66 books of the Bible, or at least the names of them, that you have scripture anytime you need to recall it, that you understand the mysteries of God. No, not at all. In fact, quite frankly, God doesn't call you to be a theologian. God calls you to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And to follow Jesus means that you're following the rabbi. You're following him and you're going where he's He's leading. So let's chat for a minute of this command about baptism. And I know when I do this, there's always people in the congregation that, that get a little nervous because all of us come from different traditions. All of us come from different walks, different denominations. In fact, quite frankly, we're not just a non-denominational church. We're a multi-denominational church, right? We have people here that still understand that they're still members of the Catholic Church. They're still members of the Presbyterian Church. They're still hanging on to their membership in the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian, all the different churches. And God bless you. There's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. We love it that you're here because all of us can come together as Christians understanding we have much more in common than what separates us. But I need to talk to you about baptize because it's in the scripture today. Now, the Bible teaches that baptism is a public de declaration of faith and repentance. And most scholars will tell you that this word baptize, uh, baptizo in, in the Greek means to a dip, to immerse, to submerge underwater. It's the same word that's used for a woman that's dyeing cloth. You know, you get a piece of cloth and you want to dye it purple or dye it red and you submerge it under the water. You baptize it in the water and then you pull it out. Uh, we have archaeological evidence as well. The early church believed in baptism by immersion. Uh, this shouldn't surprise us. You know, John the Baptist uh, didn't have to tell the Jews what baptism was about. I mean, they knew what it was. They had mikvahs. They had mikvahs. Mikvahs looked just like this. They were, they were deep pools that women would need to go in and cleanse themselves once a month. 
once a month they would have to go in and cleanse themselves. Their, their, their ritual impurity would be cleansed through a mikvah. Men that had touched a, a dead body, whether it was an eagle or a goat or, or a person, whatever, would have to be ritually cleansed. They would have to go under the water. Converts to Judaism would have to have a mikvah. They'd have to be baptized. John the Baptist didn't have to explain this. Now these mikvahs are actually baptismals, Christian baptismals, and we know that because they're in the form of a cross. They were in ancient churches in Antioch as well as in the Jerusalem area, and they look very, very similar, don't they? And they go back to the third and the fourth century. Now what's interesting is that for centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians, almost all Christians, were not baptized like this. They were sprinkled. They were baptized as babies, as many of you were. And why was that? Well, there was a guy named St. Augustine. He was a very, very smart teacher. And he started teaching that baptism was required to wash away what he called original sin. And because of that, if you, didn't, if you weren't baptized, regardless of how good you were, regardless of how much you believed, regardless of how your faith in Jesus Christ, unless you were baptized, uh, you wouldn't go to heaven. Because of infant mortality and because... Two out of three children died. Think about this. Two out of three children died before they reached seven years of age. In fact, 25% of women died in childbirth. Because of mortality, children were baptized early, typically within a few days after being born. And the, best, the easiest way, let's put it that way, the easiest way to baptize a baby would be to, to sprinkle them. So this was done for many, many years uh, until the Protestant Reformation. Uh, the Bible indicates that baptism would be the first step that a new believer takes. Baptism is an important step of obedience for all believers. Uh, it's the process of salvation. Again, this is a process that leads to the role of the Holy Spirit coming into our life. It, it leads to the forgiveness of sins and empowerment. For example, in Mark chapter 16, Mark says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But then he says this, But he who does not believe will be condemned. Not baptized, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So let's not get the cart before the horse. Let's understand it's about belief. In Acts chapter 2, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, enough about baptism for now. Note that Jesus clearly tells us that we're baptized into a belief, and he mentions three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're, Jesus said that we're we are to be baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Persons have names. We believe in one God, but there are three unique persons in that Godhead. Now, I'm not going to go into a teaching on the Trinity. People that typically talk about the Trinity for too long end up saying something that's heretical. Okay, I'm not going to go there. We understand that there's one God but three persons. By the way, you know, some people will say, well, you know, Christians, you guys are crazy because the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, that's true. The word Bible is not in the Bible either. Okay, there's a lot of words that aren't in the Bible. It doesn't mean that we don't believe in those things. We understand what the Trinity is. And this is one example of the understanding of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Three persons in, in one God. Let's go on. Let's finish up the teaching. Verse 20 says this. It says, teaching them. That's a third indirect command. Go, baptize, and now teach. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. 
You know, up to this time, who was the teacher? The teacher was Jesus. Jesus was the rabbi. The disciples were his students. He did the teaching. They did the listening, right? But Jesus has now ascended from the grave, and he, in a little while, he's going to be ascending into heaven. He's going to be leaving them. That's why he's giving them this commission to go and baptize. They are going to be the teachers. Jesus rose from the dead, and now he delegates his teaching to the disciples. They were to teach, and we are to teach. We understand because of the understanding they had that's been passed down to us. This commission is to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, his birth, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's not too hard, is it? His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, ascension. You can add one more to it, his second coming. But that's the teaching that we have. That's the teaching we share. And this is for the forgiveness of sins. And who is that directed to? To everyone who believes. And this commission will continue until everyone has heard. It'll continue until everyone has heard. Jesus says that he will be with us. I love that. He says, lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. I love that. That's a promise. That's a promise of the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. It's a wonderful promise. I'd like to close by giving you a taste of what his presence actually means. His presence means privilege. The Apostle Peter summed it up by saying this in 1 Peter. He says, Coming to him, which is Jesus, a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Did you know the Bible says that in Christ we are priests and kings? And the reason for that is because of his presence, and his presence means a privilege. His presence also means protection. Because we are never out of his sight or supervision. You know, as a child, you stay close to your mother or father, right? And because you were close to your mother or your father, you felt you had their protection. In the same way, if you stay close to Jesus, you have his protection. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says, The Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers in heavenly places. Number three, his presence means power. Because as we fulfill his great command, we, walk, we work in his name. In Acts chapter 1, um, uh, verse 8, we also have a rendering of what's called the Great Commission. Just as I read it to you out of Matthew 28, we also see it in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Jesus says this, he says, you shall receive power. There's that word. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. How do you get from Judea and Jerusalem to Samaria and the ends of the earth? You go. <laughs> you go. Go means go. Jesus is saying you'll be my witnesses in these places because you're going to go. In, in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, Paul says this. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was Tim Tebow that put Philippians 4.13 on his eyelids. Remember in black? Okay. He, he won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Florida ended up winning the national championship this year. And in part, it was because Tim Tebow believed 
that Jesus' presence meant power, that he could do all things. Fourthly, his presence means peace. This peace is the shalom of God. The, the Jews understand shalom much better than we do. Shalom, we typically think that it means peace, but it means so much more than peace. Jesus says in John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Let it not be afraid. I'm sure you've heard sermons before on the shalom of God. Shalom is such more than peace. It means wholeness. It means rest. It means salvation. It means endurance. That's the shalom of God. And Jesus gives us this because his presence means peace. You know, last week we talked about worry. and We said, do not worry. Here in the presence of God, Jesus is going to be with us until the end of the age. And because of these promises, his privilege, his presence means protection. His presence means his power. His presence means his peace. We have this shalom. We don't have to worry because God is with us and he's going to be with us until the very end of the age. The Bible says that we have this peace of God which passes all understanding. In Philippians chapters 4, Paul says that this peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.